Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. What's up, hushlings? I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike, and as always, we're joined by our sidekick, Slick Frank Sanders. How's it going, everybody? Frank here. Last week, if you joined us on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, we went into the dark depths of the MK Ultra program, also known as the CAA Mind Control Program. This week, we're going to go into the John F. Kennedy assassination. Before we jump into it, we just want to remind everyone that November 9th, we will be having our season finale live show. And if you want to send us any kind of information, anything that you think that we should look into, any kind of questions that you ask us, please send them over to any of our socials, or you can send them to our email at hushhushsociety at planetmail.com. All right, guys. So John Fitzgerald Kennedy was born... On May 29, 1917, in Brookline, Mass., a suburb of Boston. Oh, yeah. Dave and I, we used to frequent Brookline whenever we went to Boston. We used to hit Brookline and Newton every time. Yep. Really? Hit the T, Green Line, right into the city. Yeah, it was a straight shot. <laughs> it would shoot us in pretty quick. We had many a good times in Brookline, Mass. He was born into a pretty wealthy family, a political family as well. His father was Joseph Patrick Kennedy Sr. He was a businessman and an investor. His siblings were notable as well. Robert Kennedy became a senator. And then you have Rosemary Kennedy, who was their sister who was born with intellectual disabilities. And their sister Eunice Kennedy, she goes on to start the Special Olympics in honor of her sister. That's wild, dude. Whole bunch of achievers overachievers his father (laughs) speaking of achievers also served as the u.s ambassador to the united kingdom for two years between 38 and 40. jfk also known as jack in his family as a child had a series of health issues bouts of scarlet fever and then Hmm. years of apparently just not knowing what's wrong with him so as a young child he definitely had it a little tougher and coming from that adversary in 1940 he actually was a graduate of harvard university and the next year he joined the u.s naval reserve he actually didn't know this until recently he was a commander of a bunch of pt boats that was in the pacific gallery and was awarded the navy and marine corps medal After World War II and serving in the Navy, he goes on to do a little bit of journalism work. In 1947 to 1953, becomes a representative of the Boston District at the House of Representatives. Busy man. He goes on to publish a book called Profiles in Courage, which won a Pulitzer Prize. Just that same year, in 53, on into 1960, John F. Kennedy became a junior senator from Massachusetts. In 60, he won the presidential election and defeated Republican Richard Nixon. I am not a crook. (laughs) (laughs) January 20th, 1961, John F. Kennedy is inaugurated as the 35th president of the United States. 35. (laughs) 
Kennedy goes on to do a few things during his presidency, some things that he was fulfilling as campaign pledges. He goes to create the temporary Peace Corps, something that he had said during his campaign, and he issues an executive order to create the Peace Corps and asks Congress to authorize the program. It's one of those things that sets his legacy. If anything can be said about JFK, it's that he had a legacy, good or bad. I think another thing that sets his legacy is JFK's involvement and us getting into space. Oh, he was heavily determined. It was pretty much a pure power play on JFK's role. Russia was kind of stomping us out space race-wise. They had sent up the first satellite. They sent up the first man to space. So JFK kind of just said, you know what? We're going to the moon. It's kind of tough because JFK, even in his first year of being president, ran into a lot of issues. One of the biggest issues that would later go on to define his presidency, kind of, I mean, other than the assassination, was April 15th, 1961, the Bay of Pigs. Now, if you don't know much about the Bay of Pigs, it was a U.S.-sponsored invasion of Cuba. It was led by a CIA-trained brigade of anti-Castro exiles. A few days it took, and they were defeated in the Bay of Pigs and Kennedy goes on to take responsibility for the whole thing. Originated because of Eisenhower's original plans to invade Cuba. Cuba plays a big part in JFK's presidency. This wouldn't be the last time that Cuba kind of crosses the radar of the Kennedy presidency. Definitely not the last blemish on his part of his legacy. Months later in 62, we get into the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, there was a whole lot of tension when all of that was going on. That was pretty much the high of the Cold War. The mission in this Bay of Pigs invasion was to overthrow the government of Fidel Castro by inciting revolt in the Cuban people. Do you think that Fidel Castro gets a bad rap? Kind of. Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) I mean, he was well known for cigars and we all love Cubans. Are you talking about the sandwich? (laughs) Because I love me a... Good <laughs> the whole invasion at the Bay of Pigs and the whole revolt against Fidel Castro was funded and supplied by the United States. So when the invasion ended in failure, the exiles had been killed. A lot of people were captured by Fidel Castro's army. And it was, it was a big failure. It was a big failure, especially to be months into your presidency and take the rap for that. The only success was destroying some of Castro's supposed air force. But it warned Cuban leaders that they were coming. So... There is a lot of criticism on that operation. On top of the Bay of Pigs invasion, Kennedy had a lot going on. On May 25th, 1961, he he pledges an address to Congress saying that the United States will land a man on the moon by the end of the decade, which comes very close to the Soviets putting the first man in space. His name was uh, Yuri Gagarin, and that was only a month or so before on April the 12th. Which puts further pressure on Kennedy to make good on his promises. He got a little encouragement from from his vice president at the time, Lyndon Johnson, and he kind of goaded him on. Kennedy goes on to appeal to Congress to increase the spending in the space program. It's a space race. We're dead in heap with trying to beat the Soviets. It's all about the Soviets because literally two, three months later, East Germany starts building the Berlin Wall. That's a move that's supported by the Soviet Union. They're trying to stop the flow of refugees that are trying to move to the West. They start constructing this wall between the two sections of Berlin and the east side of Germany is controlled by the Soviets. What side? The west side. (laughs) I was going to say, isn't that uh, Ice Cube? (laughs) February 3rd, 1962. Kennedy completely halts virtually all trades with Cuba. Cuba's involvement with the Soviets, that's what, February 3rd, 1962? 
So you have shortly after, two weeks later, the United States finally has John Glenn orbit the Earth. And the United States has been involved with the Soviet Union since 1957 when they launched Sputnik. It's been a race to get to space even before JFK was in his presidency. Which is kind of an odd dynamic because... Like you said, for a while, there's a relationship between the Soviets and the United States. And what you're seeing throughout the early 60s and throughout the infancy of the JFK presidency is a breakdown of that relationship in the largest sense of the word. Complete distrust. Which pushes us on to the fall of 1962. October 16th, Kennedy becomes informed of the existence of Soviet missiles. Hence the Cuban Missile Crisis. They're saying that the Soviets were building these missile installations in Cuba, and just six days later, on October 22nd, Kennedy goes and he addresses the American people about the situation in Cuba. The Cuban Missile Crisis was only like two weeks long. Hmm. Which also brings in the, the thought that maybe Kennedy was trying to kick up some dirt and maybe start a little something, or was he really worried about this missile crisis? If you're going for 13 days and talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis, before it's resolved, either that's a power move by the Russians where they turn around and they kind of allow that information to slip out so the Americans know, hey, you're stepping into boundaries that you shouldn't be going into, or is it the United States playing it safe and looking at this as a viable threat? Clearly a viable threat on both fronts. America found out about these missiles in Cuba covertly when a U-2 surveillance mission flew over Cuba and took photographs of these launch sites. Gotcha. Obviously, they didn't hide them very but well. But then again, like you said, <laughs> ma yeah, maybe maybe they wanted to flash them off. Maybe they knew we were going to come check it out. Who knows? If you look in the National Archives, there are surveillance pictures that were taken over Cuba. And clearly within them, you see the equipment is not being hidden. There's a bunch of tent areas. There's an erector site where they're going to have launchers. There's missile trailers. There's missiles all over the place. And they made no attempt to hide the fact that they were doing it. I think a lot of it in the early 60s, did a lot of these places know how good surveillance and radar technology was? Or was that part of the secrecy of what people had? Well, you had to think, like we had said during the MK Ultra episode and during that time frame it's the spy game the russians are working on spies we're working on spies it's a big collection of information of one versus another so you have to think that okay maybe we as the united states had better surveillance as far as the sky goes and as far as planes go and whatnot but the russians also had people that infiltrated american lives they had pretty much <laughs> for lack of a better term, sleeper agents that were on U.S. soil, which sure. brings in the whole McCarthyism thing and you go and, and it's the big red scare, communism, the whole bit. So we jump a little ahead when you're talking about the big red scare and all the bombs and the nuclear testing. A year later, in 63, Kennedy actually signs the nuclear test ban with the Soviet Union and the United Kingdom. One thing that I found interesting is that apparently after the nuclear test ban was signed with the Soviet Union, there was this direct line that was installed in the Oval Office that directly went from Kennedy to Khrushchev, who was the prime minister or the, the prime chancellor of the Soviet Union at the time. And a lot of Americans saw that as kind of a slight against the United States. Kennedy sets up this dedicated line that goes to the leader of the Soviets, especially 
especially after the Cuban Missile Crisis, after the Bay of Pigs, after everything that had happened within his presidency up until that point, why are you installing this phone line that only goes to Khrushchev? I mean, that's a good point, but on the on the backside of the hand, Kennedy was, I feel like he was pushing hard for peace. What better way to get a hold of the guy than a direct line? Yeah, don't bomb my country. Don't bomb the world. <laughs> Come I mean, on, guys, they, for I, real, stop. Will you accept a collect call from Khrushchev? I, I believe Russia is one of those countries even still that has a certain program that if its leaders are all gone, then the nuclear arsenal deploys by a computer. No it's either way. something like that or if they're fired upon. Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird failsafe that's not a failsafe. You know, like, it's literally, what? You attacked us, total annihilation. And you got to think it does imagine? make sense, though. If you look into the mindset of the Soviet Union and the Russian mindset, it's very patriotic and it's very no bullshit. And you could yeah. imagine easily, you could easily imagine that there is some sort of failsafe. It probably even exists today, where if a nuclear missile or any kind of ballistic missile was fired at the the Russians that they have some sort of failsafe that would be like, oh, United States just sent a missile our way. Time to send 25 their way. I mean, that's been a fear since literally the 50s with the Russians. It's called the dead hand program. Like alluding to the dead hand of a terrorist bomber. The hand on the trigger type the of The last thing. laugh. It means if it activates, it determines of the happening of nuclear war, it sends out its entire arsenal. It protects itself by blowing everyone else up. That would be devastating. If you think about it, let's say that that program is still in full effect. Maybe that protocol is still in full effect. And it very well may be, of course, especially with Putin in office. I could imagine. What is the arsenal of Russia at this point? Definitely nukes. How many nukes? Who knows? The same question that you can say about the United States. We, we're probably in the same yeah. boat. Huh? I feel like nowadays every country is with their hand on the trigger. kind of feel like it's best that way. If you don't send yours, I won't send mine. It kind of holds the peace. I mean, yeah, it could be used as well, a threat. Essentially, we're still kind of in a Cold War now. It's standoff after standoff between North Korea and us. It's still, there's still that looming distrust with Russia, even though they're not the Soviet Union anymore. There's still kind of a Cold War going on. I don't think it ever went away no we just got less prominent about it yeah we stopped going yeah. around in the streets and calling people communists and <laughs> i mean that's that's pretty much what it was but it's it's still going on today about three weeks later from him signing that nuclear test ban south vietnamese president was assassinated supposedly in a u.s supported coup on friday november 22nd 1963 john kennedy travels to texas where he's gonna get some democratic support he goes with his wife jackie o meets up with Texas Governor John Conley and his wife. They get into the presidential limousine and they travel throughout Dallas in a presidential motorcade. As they turn into Dealey Plaza, they pass the Texas School Book Depository. Gunshots ring out. Initially, people in the crowd thought that it was fireworks. Kennedy is shot in the throat and eventually into the head. The motorcade drives off and goes directly to Parkland Memorial Hospital, where a short time later, the president is pronounced dead. The official story is that Lee Harvey Oswald was the killer and that he fired six shots from the school book depository building that the motorcade was driving past. It was right on the corner of Dealey Plaza there. Allegedly, the first shot missed, the second shot hit John F. Kennedy and the governor of Texas, 
and the third shot hit Kennedy in the head, blowing his brains all over the place. There's no way to put that lightly. If you watch the film by Abraham Zapruder, one of the most viewed pieces of film in history, it's pretty blatant. From what we know, Lee Harvey Oswald was the one that fired the shots. He also worked at that same building at the Texas School Book Depository where the shots came from. He was arrested shortly after the shooting found in a movie theater because he had murdered a police officer, J.D. Tippett, and was charged with both murders. He went to try and hide like a little rat. Yeah, Tippett was pretty much just trying to, to give Harvey Oswald the rundown he fit. A description, a suspicious description that was spread out throughout the police force. And he stopped Lee Harvey Oswald. And he, he just shot him right there on the spot and dipped out into the movie theater. Two days later, Lee Harvey Oswald he is not only booked and being charged for the murder of the president and murder of a police officer, he is being transferred between jails. He comes out into the basement. There are a bunch of uniformed officers. There's a bunch of reporters. Everybody's asking him questions as he's being transported. A man steps out from behind the crowd and shoots Lee Harvey Oswald once in center mass, and that man was Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby eventually goes on to be tried and convicted of murdering Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald was an American Marxist, and he was also a U.S. Marine. He defected to the Soviet Union in 1959 and lived there until, say, June of 1962. Really suspect. And eventually ended up in Dallas, Texas with a, mm. uh, a Russian wife. See, that brings into question whether the Russians were involved in this. The Russians gave him a hard time about citizenship. He had to show proof of his discharge papers from the Marines. It took him a while to get to stay there legally. I don't think he was he was an illegal uh, immigrant by any means. If anything, I think he came back here illegally. Well, you have to imagine that an American Marine showing up in, so in the Soviet Union during this time was really suspect have to either think he was some sort of spy or he was information gathering and especially if they thought that he was still a marine he's out here trying to do a solid for america yeah i could definitely see that looking pretty poorly in lee harvey oswald's favor it's a great cover backstory for anybody that wants to frame somebody and put it on Russia. This is true. So now that we have all the facts or the basics down of the assassination, we start to delve into what the conspiracies could be. There are many different routes in which you could take. First, we start with Lee Harvey Oswald. Don't take the route through Dealey Plaza. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, for first piece of advice. <laughs> 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 and if you're going to go through a presidential motorcade, be like the current presidents with like eight inches of bulletproof glass. See, there, there's an interesting fact is that before the motorcade was heading out, Kennedy wanted to keep the protective bubble that usually goes over the limousine off so that he could wave and see people's faces in the crowd. He was really a people person and he really wanted that interaction with the people so that he could kind of build this rapport between him being a democratic president and trying to get to the better side of these Republicans. Better have been a people person. He was with Marilyn Monroe. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. 
During the assassination, some things happen. Agent Roy Kellerin, who was in the front seat of the presidential limousine, he's driving through Dealey Plaza. Now, when he first hears these firecracker sounds, quote unquote, they all kind of thought that this was not what it was. They didn't think it was gunshots. So they hear the first shots go out and... It was said that three shots were fired within just over five seconds. Now, that's not a really big deal, but then they say that the first two shots were taken just over a second away from each other. So, Agent Roy Kellerin, he's in the front seat of the limousine, and he hears these sounds go off, and all of a sudden, the president says, My God, I've been hit. The next shot goes, and it hits the president in the head. Now, at this point... Special Agent Hill is in the follow-up car tailing the presidential limousine. He jumps out of the car, seeing that the shot was taken. He jumps onto the back of the presidential limo, and he stops Jackie O. This is one of those powerful and very famous moments from this entire atrocity. It's caught on the Zapruder film. Jackie O kind of jumps to the back of the car. Now, you would think, okay, she's trying to escape and trying to get away from the shots, but in reality, Agent Hill goes on to say that he was stopping Jackie O from picking up parts of the president's brain matter. That's so bizarre. I've always just assumed that, yeah, she was trying to get away. Now, it's bizarre because obviously there's a state of shock there. Your husband just got shot twice, maybe more, and Obviously, one in the head, and that's clear in the video. But if she's going in a state of shock to pick up brain matter, and Kennedy's brain supposedly is, nobody knows where that is. So that's pretty weird. Greetings and salutations. This is Cage's Kiss, the ultimate cage cast, where we discuss the movies and life of the national treasure, Nick Cage. There are three of us here, and I can't help but notice that none of us are Nicolas Cage. Did nobody call him? What? A cage cast with no Nick Cage? No, instead of being Nicolas Cage, we're three Nicolas Cage experts, which is the next best thing. I don't think we should admit to being experts. Too late. We are not experts at anything. We are not life coaches, and we are not in any way, shape, or form qualified to give you suggestions on life choices. But Nick Cage is, and he's made hundreds of life choices. Seriously, I cannot stress enough just how much you should not take our advice. But we're experts. No, seriously, we're not experts. Yes, but we will be reviewing his first acting gig as Nicholas Coppola, Best of Times, which features a young and very precious Crispin Glover. And his work in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And his work in My Nightmares. We're experts. We're a podcast about two parents and their kid going on a quest for good shows. No, we're a podcast about two parents who are trapped in their own living room and we have to endure time and space. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Rich. I'm Natalie. And this is Not Suitable for Adults. Take 30 or 40 minutes out of your day to listen to us speak calmly and wisely to you about the best and the worst of kids' TV shows today. And movies. And movies. So join us as we sit in our living room and talk about the things we don't want to watch. And some things we do want to watch. Yeah, it's not all bad. Some of it's good. Some of it. Bye. Bye. The thing that becomes odd is the the reason that I had mentioned the 
the timing of the shots. They go on to find that the shots were taken from the sixth floor of the depository. They go up and they find this rifle. It's a 6.5 by 52 millimeter man liquor Carcano, which is a, it's an Italian military rifle. It's a bolt action rifle. So firing that many shots off with a bolt action rifle that quick is definitely hard to do. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. No, with, with the training, absolutely, you, you could, but it's not easy. Knowing his background in the Marines, who knows what he learned? I mean, who knows what he learned in the couple of years he was in Russia, too, with weapons? Who knows if it was even Lee Harvey Oswald? Let's take into account that it was Lee Harvey Oswald. He's up on the sixth floor of the depository. He has access to all the floors because he worked in the building. He sure. leaves the rifle up there. They find the rifle. It's like you said, it's a bolt action rifle. Very hard to get those shots off. Is it possible to get two shots off in just over a second with a bolt action rifle? Yeah, it's possible. But let's also take into account the presidential motorcade was moving and the line of sight from the sixth floor of the depository to the limousine was blocked by tree coverage. So there's a lot of trees in Daly, in Daly Plaza. And one of those trees... Heavily vegetated tree vegetated <laughs> vegetation yeah it was it Heavy was a vegetation. tree it was it was a full tree whole ass tree a, a tree with a whole full ass tree. veg <laughs> so a bush you, if you will you take you take into account the impaired vision by the tree the moving of the limousine and the fact that two shots are fired off within just over a second one of those apparently being a shot that goes through the neck of the president into center mass of the governor of texas ultimately causing five wounds on the governor what do they call that collateral Oh, sorry. My bad. They call it the magic bullet, right? Where it spins and it did some abnormal things. I've seen so many things on the ballistics of what that one bullet did. And I'm not a gun expert. You know, I grew up with them, but I'm not a gun expert by any means. Uh, five wounds? I mean, off of two bullets? Or how many shots? They said six shots, correct? Well... One report said three shots. One person in particular says that there was one shot. In the official Warren report, I'm pretty sure they report three shots. This is the alleged official story. So one could have missed? Well, yeah, that, that's, what they're, that's what they say. So you're saying from this building, from the sixth floor, from where he shot him, wasn't the direction of that building from the behind of the right shoulder or to the right of the motorcade. So how does that explain the entry wound on the right hand side of his forehead, which would come from a completely different direction? What entry point on the right side of his forehead? <laughs> well, that brings into account the grassy knoll. Now, the grassy knoll was a little bit of, as you would <laughs> there guess, was definitely grass, grass uh, <laughs> a little grassy hill off, <laughs> off to the right of the presidential motorcade. Now, somebody said that they had heard shots come from the grassy knoll. There's video of people rushing the grassy knoll as well. Yes. They, it's also said that two over 200 people rushed to the site of those gunshots. Oh, that's one hell of a mosh pit. <laughs> the one thing that bugs me is that, okay, let's say you had three shots. 
let's say that two of those shots came from the depository and one of those shots came from the grassy knoll. That does a couple things. First, it takes away the, the theory that there was only one shooter, which can be backed up if you watch the Zapruder video. It clearly shows, and it's very graphic, so if you do look into it, be prepared. It clearly shows that there was a shot taken it hits the president in the head. His head goes backwards Jerks. and to the left. Jerks violently backwards. Yep. And to the left into Jackie O. Now, what you don't see in the video is the fact that before he gets shot in the head, the president and the governor were already shot at this point. Nobody had known, though. So you're looking at this video and you're, you're saying, okay, well, he was already shot. You look at the kill shot and it is definitely taken from in front of him. Yeah, definitely. like if the shot had came from behind, it would literally defy all laws of physics that we know today. You can see between the footage of the autopsy, even is there footage of the autopsy before the alleged surgical procedures that no. were supposed to be have done? No. Dr. Malcolm Perry was one of the physicians and surgeons that worked on President Kennedy after the shooting at Parkland Memorial Hospital. And it's said that he performed yeah. a tracheotomy on Kennedy. Perry later said that he believed that a full jacketed bullet without deformation passing through the skin would leave a similar wound for an exit and entrance wound. And with the facts which you have made available and with these assumptions, I believe that it was an exit wound. So he's saying that the throat wound was an exit wound. So that came from behind. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that previously, when Perry was interviewed three times before the Warren Commission interviewed him, he had said on three different occasions that the wound into the throat was an entrance wound. So somewhere along the lines, he ends, he ends up changing his story to it being an exit wound. So, I mean, obviously, clearly, no matter no matter what you get out of the footage or the photos of the autopsy itself, what the ones, I believe the photos are from Bethesda Naval Hospital and not Parkland Medical. Clearly, there's blowback. His whole back of his head is gone. So, clearly, he was not shot from the back in the head. There's definitely an entry wound, what was it, above his shoulder blade from the rear right side and then through his neck. And then, obviously, a frontal shot. Well, here's my question. As we said, the shot is taken, as it's said, the shot is taken from the grassy knoll. You have 200 people or so, including police officers, that rush to the grassy knoll. Okay? So something's Clearly going on. Clearly, you have a group of people, 200 or so people, that are not afraid and they want to investigate where these shots came from. Tell me why... Nobody rushed towards the depository. If two shots, and and we'll, I'll even say three shots, if all three shots came from the the Texas Book Depository, why did no one rush that building? You said eighty yards was the depository. I think it was just over eighty from where Kennedy had his you know fatal shot. And the grassy knoll was much closer. Much closer. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. So. Maybe the masking of the actual gunshot in the building. The building took the actual audible blowback of that gun instead of the the echoing that could have happened in a grassy knoll. What, you mean to just kind of like draw away the attention from the school book depository building? 
they may not have heard the initial. I mean, there was obviously reports of three or six or one. They may have heard the shot, but since it was masked, because you do have the if only the barrel was sticking out of that window, I guess, in theory, from what I would think from that far away from behind where people are looking straight at the president and not up behind at a building. Think about it. All the people that are on the left side of the street that he was on in Dealey Plaza in that big grass patch, not the grassy knoll, but the opposite side. If you're facing the president looking at him and he gets shot from that direction and you hear that echo coming from that direction, but you might not hear the echo of a gunshot coming from a building 80 yards behind your actual hearing range. I mean, we're not dogs. Yeah, so so the sound is traveling, it's echoing. That's definitely plausible. Like, I've never been to Dealey Plaza, and I've surely never heard a gunshot in Dealey Plaza, but who knows how those sound waves would react, you know? Hard to say. Didn't the Mythbusters do? I'd be amazed <laughs> if they didn't. Something along this. Yeah. The Mythbusters have done everything. Yeah. R.I.P. Grant Amahar. There was an account yeah, of somebody saying that they had seen someone in the window. So one of the accounts is that they questioned someone that was in the plaza. And he said, oh, at the beginning of the motorcade, I looked up and saw on the fifth floor, there were some people looking out the window, looking obviously at the president. And on the sixth floor, I saw this open window and I saw this man who was wearing this, this dark jacket and a light shirt. And he just kept looking out the window and then he would walk back into the building and looking out the window and, and walking back. So he was kind of pacing, waiting. There are secret service that say that in a normal presidential motorcade situation that those windows and that building... Yeah, if a window had even service. opened, they would have and taken care of it immediately. Yeah, they would have been there. And another one... It might be small, it might be huge. One tidbit to point out is that I believe on Kennedy's motorcade, they used something that they didn't use before, which might go into because he didn't what, use the handles quote, protective on the, bubble. the rear of the car. The yeah, handles on the rear of the interesting car. Touch. Yes. What was that? The handles on yeah. the rear of the car, the, the two metal handles on, on top of the trunk. Mm -hmm. Were not normal for a presidential motorcade so i'm not sure if that went with him not having the protective bubble they had handles so they could easily get access to the car but why would you just put handles for somebody to jump well, up or jump i mean that, i i wouldn't question yeah I wouldn't question too much about the positioning of handles. Look at, look at, I mean, it, it's, it's serious though, but look at. Uh, it's the fact that they, it's the fact that they weren't there before. Yeah, but there's, there's also changes to everything. Thing. You got to think that Kennedy is taking a trip through a very busy downtown city. Could there be modifications to the car that allows the Secret Service to jump onto the car if need be? Just like Special Agent Lee ended up having to do. If you look at the current presidential motorcade, there's plenty of handles that are on the sides of SUVs. There's there's run boards. There's access points for the Secret Service. The better question is, why wasn't the Secret Service on tops of those buildings or doing what they're supposed to be doing because let's face it you go anywhere nowadays and even after this you see black uniforms mi <laughs> a mile around yeah in modern times 
Absolutely. Even here, just seeing Donald Trump speak here in California, we see a lot of military anyways because of the city. But you can't get anywhere. And and on normal buildings that you see that's like a hotel or a bar, you see some guy with a sniper rifle. Well, I'm sure this event in particular has a large deal to do with the reason why that is. Definitely. And why, why it wasn't in the Kennedy scenario is a mystery, I suppose. So after being shot fatally, John F. Kennedy was rushed to Parkland Hospital in Dallas. Surgeons tried desperately to recover what livelihood could have been. He was shortly after reported dead. He was then put into a casket and loaded up onto Air Force One. It is said a, a bronze ceremonial casket that he was put into going to Bethesda Naval Hospital in Maryland. When Air Force One arrived in Maryland at the Bethesda Naval Hospital, Navy autopsy technician Paul O'Connor quotes, we opened the pinkish gray shipping casket. There was a gray body bag zipped shut. Now, this is a huge issue. He was loaded into Air Force One in a bronze ceremonial casket. Very obvious. And was not loaded into a body bag from the folks at the morgue at Parkland Hospital. Yeah, Aubrey Reich, the man who um, loaded JFK into the casket, said clearly in an interview he did not put him into a body bag. It was a ceremonial casket, and that was that. Hmm. So that that's definitely a pretty big eye-opener, head-scratcher, if you will. They reopened this case, and they approached the surgeons and doctors from the hospital in Dallas with the autopsy photos that were taken at Bethesda Naval Base, asking if they remember Kennedy's head and body looking the way that it did in the pictures as they saw it in the hospital right after the assassination. And each and every one of them said that it all cleared out except for a V-shaped incision in the front of his head, the front right. The right side of his head, yeah. yeah. And I believe, I believe that his actual autopsy at Parkland Hospital was done by a doctor that was selected that had no knowledge of gunshot. Yeah, like he had done autopsies before, but he had never done an autopsy with with the gunshots. On right? a on a gunshot wound. Now going from the casket, the bronze casket, to a pink shipping container with the body bag, and now you have a miraculous V-shaped wound that probably is there to hide a entry wound or even the number of shots that could have been taken on the president's body. I, did do they mention how big the V-shaped wound is? Yeah, it's it's not like well, you can see it in the autopsy photos. It's not a little tiny incision. It's it looks like a not a gash, but it's it's a decent size. I would say it's probably a solid inch, inch and a half each direction of each point of the V. I mean, it's hmm. it's going from your forehead up to your scalp over to the edge of your eyebrow. That's what it looks like in the photo. Hmm. It looks like a piece of the flesh or the skull. It looks like a piece of it was almost essentially cut, peeled back to not reveal a central entry wound right there. Clearly, you have the exit wound. It's all over the table. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's I mean, in the picture. Yeah, the, the autopsy <laughs> photos in general kind of dispute the whole, uh, you know, he got shot from the back theory. Like, the whole front of his head would be open. 
all in all, the footage of the actual event and the autopsy is very suspect that he was shot from one direction once, twice. Could have been more Three than times twice. Three times, lady. Three out. times. Oh. I... <laughs> from what you can see is that he clearly was in distress leaned forward in the car and then was blown backwards and clearly the autopsy shows that there was multiple angles and something was doctored the camera don't lie folks just looking at some of the pictures now so if they're talking about the so like if you look at the throat shot yep if the throat shot was taken from behind you have this very large wound through the throat. Yeah, the doctors at Parkland, even during that interview, said specifically that that throat wound appeared to be a bullet entry wound. Now, if it's a bullet entry wound in the neck and the opposite way around, then do you have decoy shots coming from a rifle in the Texas depository? If you're looking at the front shot of the autopsy picture, you have a wound in the head. Now, that's not a blown-out wound in the forehead. No. That's that's an entry wound for sure. And if you're looking at the throat wound, and the throat wound is an exit wound, it's much bigger than the entrance wound that's on the forehead. So... It would make sense that that shot to the throat was from behind. The only way to get that trajectory so that it hits the Texas governor also is to shoot from behind him. So he he gets shot in the back of the neck. So he gets shot in the back of the neck. The exit wound is out through his throat. It enters through, I believe, the forearm of the governor into his chest. Okay, and that creates, you know, however many wounds they say that he got. They say that, yes, it it hit his, one of his forearm bones or something and ricocheted into his chest. Um, But I personally think the governor was probably just a bystander in this. I don't think he was... A target. I mean, he was, but what I'm saying is, is that he gets shot. He is sitting across from the president. So that's the that's the ballistic angle. Yeah. So Kennedy is sitting in the back of the limousine in the middle position. I guess you would call it is the governor and his wife. So the only way that the governor and his wife would be shot is to be shot from behind. Yeah, the right side behind. So behind the vehicle is where the initial shot goes through. Now. When you look at the autopsy pictures, the wound into the forehead is definitely not as big as the exit wound of the throat. Now you could say, oh, well, there's a difference there. You have skull fragments that would change, you know, how it would exit and blah, blah, blah. But you also have to understand that it would be still much bigger than any picture that they've shown. Yeah, no, that's true. Making the point, it it clearly looks in the video that was shot in the back then shot in the head from the front from the back and then the front whether there was other shots you got to really examine that video but from the autopsy clearly there's an exit wound i mean i don't know what 80 yards would do at a certain angle if you're hit in the back of the shoulder and goes through a certain angle of your body like that i'm not a ballistics expert but i would say from that far away and then if you have a clear headshot, was it the same firearm? Were they both using the same bolt action rifles or was it or was it two ballistic profiles? Because you don't even know because the forehead of the entry wound 
was doctored. That's the biggest, that's a, that's a huge part. That's the, one of the biggest pieces of evidence in the whole thing being a conspiracy within the government because the only people that were able to handle his body was the Secret Service. And that wraps up part one of the Kennedy assassination. Join us back here on August 31st, where we take on part two of the assassination. We'll be looking at all the key players and who had a motive to assassinate President Kennedy. Join us here August 31st for part two of the Kennedy assassination. In the meantime... Please follow us on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us on all streaming platforms, and an easy link for you to access everywhere that we are is our link tree. That is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Hush Hush Society. Well, Hushlings, that's the end of that, and we will see you in two weeks, so stay tuned. Hey guys, Slick Frank Sanders here. Thank you a lot for listening. Make sure you check out that link tree. And that's a wrap for us, Hushlings. We will see you next time on the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight. <laughs>